0: Welcome to I Might Believe in Fairies. I am your host, Aaron Herber. This is a podcast about stories, myths, and the Catholic faith. Hey everybody! Welcome to I Might Believe in Fairies. Uh, today uh, we're going to talk about um, the demonic in in pop culture, and I have as a guest um, Isaac Young, who is a fiction author, and he is uh, kind of a uh, he's a guy on on social media on Twitter who um, has a lot of opinions, <laughs> and he's gotten himself into a little bit of trouble on on Twitter. Not really, not not like a, any real trouble, but just surprisingly. Um, surprisingly an amount of pushback on something he said about portrayals of the demonic in fiction and in pop culture. So Isaac, why don't you go ahead and just give some background, introduce yourself, talk about your books if you want, anything anything you feel is relevant.
1: Hi, my name is Isaac Young. I'm a fiction author. Um, Primarily, I write on Substack. I do science fiction, and fantasy. Um, right now, I only have one published book called The Matryoshka Divide. They have a complicated name, sadly. But you can find that on Amazon. And I also do cultural commentary as well. I write articles from time to time. And yeah, that's, that's basically all there is to know about me.
0: <laughs> Sounds good. I know you're a big Isaac Asimov fan. Um, is it? Does that uh, influence your... Uh, your your one published book at all?
1: Yeah, um, I was really captivated by the Foundation Trilogy and I wrote my first book uh, greatly inspired by that.
0: Okay, awesome. I have not read any Isaac Asimov. I probably should read the Foundation Trilogy. Um, So yeah, I I was just kind of curious. I know you you were kind of a fan of of Asimov. Um, And in the circles that I think the two of us kind of run in, Asimov isn't hugely popular. (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah um, no he's uh he's a rationalist atheist and through right
0: yeah 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 and if uh i don't know if you ever um i don't think sandra measle i had her on the show once uh she's she's talked about he's he's he, when he was alive he was kind of a handsy guy around the ladies and she i think almost slapped him <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: right yeah, rightly I, so uh, the, the Sex scandals.
0: Yeah, well, there's a lot of weird stuff. I, I haven't delved into his personal life that much. I, I kind of try to avoid that um, unless I feel it's necessary. Because, you know, a lot of authors, a lot of people in general, you know, there's a lot of skeletons in their closet that I'd rather not know about. Um, but sometimes, you know, you kind of have to with the, um, the whole Moira, Moira Graylin sort of, you know, situation. And, you know, that... She was a daughter of Marion Zimmer Bradley, um, and she was horribly abused by her and her husband and stuff. So, and then there's a whole circle of authors who kind of knew about it but like didn't want to say anything. And it was just it's just a horrible, horrible scandal. So, um, yeah, not great. Um, so, what got you kind of into hot water? I think it was like last week. Um, a lot of people felt very strongly about what you had to say. Um, And it happened on on Twitter. And you actually had kind of reached out to other... um, Just a general call. Like, hey, if you want me to come on any of your shows, I'll be happy to do that. And I took you up on that. Um, Because I think this is an important topic of discussion. Um, And you said that uh, the idea that a demon can repent is one of the worst sins of Neil Gaiman and the storytellers that follow in his tradition. Principalities are defined by their nature. They are unchanging. It would be like a human becoming an angel. It can't happen. And... I mean, it's very orthodox, you know, um, teaching for a Christian, most Christians, most, you know, most Christians across the board, as far as, far as I know, um, there were some interesting push p- people who pushed back on that. Um, but as far as I know, that's a pretty standard, you know, orthodox Christian, standard Christian teaching, you know, it's that demons can't repent, you know, they've made their choice and, and, um and they're stuck with that right so um so why what what kind of brought that on why why did you feel the need to uh put that out on social media
1: so i was um i don't know i was thinking about pathfinder mm-hmm. uh specifically that uh there have been video games released in that setting it's a bit like dnd
0: yeah yep i played uh, pathfinder in college yeah
1: so uh i was playing this game a while back called pathfinder war of the righteous and it has this character in it. I believe her name is Aru Shale. Mm. It, it's, it's difficult to pronounce. Right, right. Um, but basically, she the entire trope of her character is that she's an abyssal demon that uh, basically wants to switch sides. Okay.
0: and Okay.
1: I remember I was playing it, and I was like, mm, sort of rubbed me the wrong way. And then months later, that sort of thing was still wriggling around in my brain i made like a five second post before going to bed (laughs) 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 that's
0: how it goes yeah it's crazy
1: Uh,
0: so what so yeah that was see like you woke up the next morning and uh, everybody everybody and their grandmother has commented on it and everybody has different opinions some people are like myself or you know obviously like that's true right like what you said was true demons can't repent and we can get into why that is um a little bit later but um on other people you know some of the objections were um oh where'd my notes go um it's just a story you know authors can do what they want like who are you to say you know um and then some of the more interesting ones were demons were good angels once so why can't they repent you know like why not Um, and then my demons can repent, you know, in his, in this person's story, you know, and, um, and then people would ask what about this or that case? You know, these specific cases, one of them was Hellboy and I have, I have opinions about Hellboy, but, um, uh, but so yeah, you had all these comments and all these things. How did that, uh, (laughs) how much time did you spend like answering people's questions and addressing, addressing their objections?
1: I started for about two or three hours and then I just made (laughs) it. This is a thread because I, I couldn't I couldn't uh, respond fast enough. Right. So, right. Uh, I made a secondary thread addressing all the main objections.
0: Right. Right. So, um, so this this is important because I think well, it, it obviously t- it touched a nerve, you know, with some people um, apparently online, um, and I think it's important because. Um, well, actually, before I get to why I think it's important, why, why do you think this... Why did you think it was uh, important enough to comment on this? And um, the fact that people... All these people had different views on this. Why do you think it's important that... Um, I don't know what I'm trying to say. Why, why, why do you think it's important to talk about this kind of stuff?
1: So I, this actually relates to one of the criticisms uh, that I received. Uh, why don't you just let stories be stories? Mm-hmm. And to me... Um, I'm sure there's people who use this argument in good faith, but the fact is we all place moral expectations on stories. Um, Nobody treats stories as just stories, and basically, um, for example, right, let's take, uh, let's say there's a movie released in movie theaters, Mm -hmm. where... You had D-Day, but it was from the side of the Germans, and it was mocking the Allied forces, making them look incompetent, uh, deriding them, mocking them, and basically just making them look like utter fools. Yeah, and
0: like glorifying A Nazism lot and stuff. Of
1: people will take moral umbrage with that. Right, that. right. So we, we all take, um, we all place moral expectations on stories, and for... Whatever reason, that expectation, a lot of people didn't have that. And so I got a lot of criticism for it. <laughs> but nobody treats stories as just stories.
0: Right, right. I think that's one of the biggest things that kind of came out of this. Because uh, everybody, you know, everybody, Like I think you pointed this out too. Uh, one of the comment commentators um you said uh, everybody has, everybody views the world in black and white, but we all differ in what we're defining as black and what we're defining as white, right? Or so, whatever, however you said that. Like, we all view the world in moral terms. It's just we disagree on what those terms are. And that's basically proven by people saying, you know, well, who cares about how you're depicting demons. Well, obviously you just don't care about that depiction. You don't care, you don't care how they're they, they're depicted. But if we depicted something, they're there, we guarantee I guarantee you there's something that you care about that if I depicted it in a in a way you disagreed with, you'd have a problem with it, right? So I think that is um that's very true. And we all kind of have that. Even even the most materialist relativist person will have a line that they draw in the sand, you know, about something like. Like, yeah, glorifying... Like, a movie that glorifies Nazism and makes the, like, allied forces look like a bunch of, a bunch of idiots, you know? Like, they'd probably have a problem with that. <laughs> um, and so, I think that's... I think that's important because stories are meant to be moral, right? They're also... They're meant to entertain. Um, because if a story is not entertaining, then it's not a very good story. But I think they're also supposed to be moral because we, we have this hunger for meaning you know and stories can can like elucidate meaning you know they can kind of draw out meaning in situations and and um we do like to see heroes defeating villains even though a lot of people might find that to be simplistic or whatever but um and we so yeah we we like to tell stories as humans and um yeah so i guess the other thing would be um the depiction of de- the demonic. So where do you, so in that Pathfinder example you gave, where do you think that they went wrong with that, uh, depiction of, I don't remember her name. Um, I have it written here. Arush- Arushale. <laughs> so where do you think Pathfinder went wrong there?
1: Well, uh, so to give a bit of a disclaimer, I didn't expect them to get it right. I doubt they're sure. Yeah, writing for Pathfinder. So I, I, I had no expectations of getting it right. Um, my main thing was pointing out this trend in culture where properties are portraying the demonic as sympathetic, mm-hmm. uh, good omens, um, you yeah, have Lucifer, you have a hell of a boss, and um got the has-been hotel, yeah. Hmm. Um, and I regard this as let's say out and out dangerous, but I regard it as deeply subversive because the demonic is evil, basically.
0: Right.
1: And demons are evil. And in portraying these things in a sympathetic light, you're creating a lot of confusion where, you know, these are real realities and people do really get hurt by them. And I don't see any point in creating that sort of confusion.
0: Right, right. So with Neil Gaiman, I think he's one of the worst offenders here, um, especially yeah. With the, I I think he did he write no the Lucifer comics. Somebody else wrote those, but they're based off of his Lucifer from the Sandman series. Um, I think that's. I'm only
1: that, aware of the Lucifer TV show. I didn't realize there was a it was adapted something.
0: Yeah. So Neil Gaiman wrote um, the Sandman series uh, of comics with um, the Lord of Dream um as the sandman and he um rules over the the dream realm you know and then he gets captured by these occultists who want to who i think they're trying to capture no they are, they're they're trying to capture death his sister um and they accidentally catch him and they take all of his the items that he you know infused his power into and then a lot of the comic is him you know, escaping and going and collecting his things. And Lucifer has, uh, or one of the demons from hell has one of his, one of his items, like the, the helmet. Um, and he has to, I think he does a, in the comics, I think, I have not seen the Saman show, but in the comics he does like a poetry contest with Lucifer or something like that. Um, and Lucifer, Gaiman's Lucifer is very much based off of Milton's Satan. Um, and... It, depending on how you read milton um i think i think milton meant lucifer to be insane right to be this insane character who you're not supposed to sympathize with and if you find yourself sympathizing with him then you're you got some problems i think that's that's how he meant it but how the romantics how the romantics interpreted the lucifer from milton was this um sympathetic kind of roguish um suave well well-spoken, you know, revolutionary guy. Um, and, yeah, so that's, I think that's where Neil Gaiman gets a lot of this stuff. Um, so you can blame Milton, I guess, um, although it might not be his fault. <laughs> um, but, yeah, Neil Gaiman, um, he, he, he's a materialist at heart, you know, which is unfortunate because he's really talented. Um, but I don't know if you've ever watched the... John, do, you know, do you know who Jonathan Pajot is?
1: Yes, I've, I've watched him on occasion.
0: Okay, yeah. Um, you see, one of my favorite little clips from Jonathan Pajot is his critique of Neil Gaiman. <laughs> um, it's like a four minute video, and I'll put a link to it in the show notes. But he basically says, you know, what, what it's a part of a, one of his QA sessions, and he was like, um, what do you think of the good omens by Neil Gaiman? And he basically said, well, Neil Gaiman's big problem is he views principalities as arbitrary. Like, they're not they're not real. He doesn't view them as real things, you know. And principalities being, like, one of the, you know, angels, angelic um, choirs of angels. And he doesn't view them as real. So, like, for him, the Lord of Dream is just some guy who happens to be the Lord of Dream. And he can be something else if he wants to be. And Lucifer... He, I think, I think in Sandman, uh, Lucifer like renounces the kingdom of hell and he, his own cosmic role and goes on to do something else. I think that's where the Lucifer comic kind of picks it up, and then the TV show is based off of a comic. Um, and so I think the this idea of like just this relativistic sort of denial of these. You know, beings and then like that that categories actually mean something you know and they're not just arbitrary um so did you ever watch uh, lucifer or good omens
1: No I I read the plot summaries okay. so I'd be familiar with them
0: Gotcha gotcha
1: but, uh, I, didn't, I didn't want to watch them
0: Oh uh, I see gotcha gotcha okay um yeah so but you've played Pathfinder and then what's the other one you mentioned hell of a boss
1: yeah unfortunately i did watch some of that
0: <laughs> <laughs> I, I haven't even heard, i didn't even hear it. oh go ahead it
1: was a lot more of a lukewarm catholic back in the day
0: okay i had never even heard of that one until you had mentioned it um uh in your message to me on on twitter uh what's what's that one about
1: so uh, the show has changed a lot since its inception um i didn't go back to it to check on it um but basically for Hasbent Hotel, the premise is... I believe it's the daughter of Lucifer. Mm-hmm. She wants to redeem demons because hell is getting so crowded that they have an o- overpopulation problem. <laughs> her, her plot is to um, make demons better so they get shoved off to heaven. Wow. And it's, it's a musical as well.
0: <laughs> wow.
1: And for Hell Boss that story is about demons who are contract killers.
0: Okay. Wow.
1: And it's played off comically.
0: So it's kind of like the, almost like the suicide squad or something, you know, from like DC. Um, Kind of, of. I mean, they're like criminals who are being um, used by the U S government to basically take down worse criminals like Harley Quinn and, you know, those guys, um, so yeah interesting okay so i guess i'll ask you can demons repent
1: no they cannot oh sorry sorry i got i got um a lot of criticism because of my poor wording it's more like no they will never do that yeah they they don't want to It's it's not a matter of it's not a matter of like it's not it's not that god won't allow them to repent it's that they will never repent
0: Right, they don't. They don't want to, you know. Um, they like if given the choice to do it again, they would do it again. You know, they they would not. They they don't even want to repent, even if they, even if. Well, they don't want to. <laughs> you know? I can't. There's no way. There's no other way to say it. Um,
1: the same goes for people in hell. The reason they're right. in hell is because they want to be there, and they will again. They will never repent either.
0: Right exactly yeah they they chose it you know they they chose that for themselves and the big difference i think uh that i so i I did some research you know just brushing up on my thomistic sort of you know (laughs) angel angelology is that the right word um it, it had been a while since i had kind of thought about the nature of the angelic world um and so I don't know if you dug into that a little uh, any at all when you were um, thinking about this, but uh, uh, I guess the, I think you cited the Catechism uh, of the Catholic Church uh, when people ask. It was just funny because people were asking, "Well, who are you? Like, who are you? Like, what? Who? Who told you that? Like, who told you angels can't repent? I'm Like, please." that's
1: that's a good thing as a catholic you just get it slap the book when you need to it's
0: like it's right here it's right there the catholic church told me that the angels demonic beings cannot repent um so the catechism of the catholic church is 391 392 and 393 behind the disobedient choice of our first parents lurks a seductive voice opposed to god which makes them all fall into death out of envy scripture and the church's tradition see this in this being a fallen angel called satan or the devil the church teaches that Satan was at first a good angel made by God. The devil and the other demons were indeed created naturally good by God, but they became evil by their own doing. And scripture speaks of a sin of these angels. This fall consists in the free choice of these created beings, created spirits, excuse me, who radically and irrevocably rejected God in his reign. We find a reflection of that rebellion in the tempter's words to our first parents. You will be like God. The devil has sinned from the beginning. He is a liar and the father of lies. It is the irrevocable character of their choice, and not a defect in the infinite divine mercy, that makes the angel's sin unforgivable. There is no repentance for the angels after their fall, just as there is no repentance for men after death. And then four fourteen, Satan of the devil and the other demons are fallen angels who have freely refused to serve God in His plan. Their choice against God is definitive. They try to associate man in their revolt against God. So I guess, um, what about angels makes them makes their choice? Because you know they they made a choice, right? but what about that choice made them fixed in that choice?
1: Okay, so this actually feeds into another critique I received on my uh, Twitter thread. Mm. I, I wanna clarify for people who don't know that angels are different creatures than human beings. <laughs> yes. They're, human beings do not become angels on death. Like angels are a completely separate category. It's,
0: yeah. I think that's part of all the confusion is people just have this category error. But anyway, go, go on.
1: Um, so the main thing is that their intellects are not fallible like our intellects are. Mm-hmm. They're born with an infused knowledge of everything they need to know. And so what happens when they make a choice is, is that that choice is made with the totality of their being. Whereas humans, you know, we go back and forth, or, you know, we regret our mistakes, we don't see the consequences of our actions, or we just, angels are basically, when they make a decision, it's permanent because their entire mind is put to that decision, their entire being. Yep, yep. We do not. Sorry, but I circled back a little
0: bit. No, no, it's all good. Um, Yeah, and so I think I think you got it right there. And then I'll, I'll just add a little bit like um, they're, since they're spiritual beings, they're not embodied like we are, you know. Um, and so because of we exist in time in a different way than they do. And I'll just say that we don't know what it's like to be an angel. We have no idea because we're, they, we, we don't know what it's like to be pure spirit. <laughs> um, at least I don't. I don't know what that's like. So, um. So, we don't know what it's like to, when you're making a decision, to put your whole being into it. Like, that doesn't, I don't even know what that would, how to conceive of something like that. So, but they're, they're, they're beings of pure, so just, you know, that being said, they're, they're beings of pure intellect and will. Um, and there's a great video by the, I think, the, the Thomistic Institute. Um, I, I, I The title I put in my notes is not the actual title of it, but um, I'll put a link to to it in the show notes, um, but these Dominicans, uh, these Dominican priests, who they're going through how angels know things and comparing it to humans and how God knows things. Uh, God is God is His knowledge, you know. He is, and I don't know what that really means. <laughs> um, a lot of this is just to me is just like words words on paper. Like I don't quite understand it because I think a lot of it is just beyond me, uh, but. So uh, angels, I can kind of understand a little bit more, but they're like knowledge is a faculty of their nature. So they are, they're not, they are not their own knowledge. They, it's a faculty of their, of, of them. So they're, they're kind of divided where God is simple. Um, and like you said, they, at the, they're infused with all of their knowledge at the time of their creation, everything they need for their job, you know, they are, they're given. And they don't have, um, I think the biggest difference is that because we, as humans have bodies, we have senses, sight and sound, and all those, and we take in information through our senses, and then we make decisions based on that. We make, we we connect we connect dots together. You know, we make um, causal sort of like, oh, if I do this, then this will happen. Um, but we don't know all of the consequences of our actions. Um, and angels, they don't have to reason that way. They don't have to reason from step to step, uh, like discursive reasoning, but they see, as the guys in the video. Uh, said that they they see the, both the principle and the conclusion in one intuitive burst of thought. So again, I don't know what that's like because <laughs> I am a human being and all I know is how I function as a human being. But I think the so I think the biggest the biggest thing that makes us different is we are a body soul composite, um, and then angels are just spirit, right? They're just um, they don't have a physical body. And so they exist in a different way than we do, and I think a lot of these. What ends up happening um, with these modern depictions of, um, I guess, I guess you could say, it's always when you when you're looking at scripture, when you're looking in the you know different stories of the saints and stuff, the demonic usually is depicted in a more in a tangible way. You know, if the if you know Padre Pio is fighting off a demon, it's going to be a a dog or something something that's actually like almost physically present um but i think the big difference is between um like that and the modern depictions of, of the demonic and angelic creatures is that they are depicted as almost human right they have like human they have human motivations you know <laughs> like um whereas angels and demons don't they don't have human motivations other than like you know the demons have pride and envy <laughs> Um, and so I think the biggest problem is that they're depicted as another type of human. Would you say you, would you, would you agree or disagree with that?
1: Yeah, I I agree with that. Um, Made another tweet about this. It's Gaiman's, in in Neil Gaiman's metaphysics, like creation is uncertain with itself. Like he's, he's extrapolating, or sorry, projecting human uncertainty onto basically reality and i said no reality is not uncertain with itself like principalities are not uncertain
0: right well i think that that goes to his um relativism at the core of his storytelling um where he like it's it's all arbitrary to him and you know i've read american gods too and um they're they're like you know he's got a good imagination i mean i don't know good maybe isn't the right word but he's got a very he's a very skilled writer you know he's um and he has so many influences that are such good influences on him like c.s lewis and chesterton and tolkien and even gene Wolfe, you know um
1: i think he had a personal correspondence with gene wolf
0: yeah they were they were good friends you know um
1: he was, was lined up to be the you know next great uh, catholic author but
0: yeah <laughs> right yeah exactly where it's like you like gaiman was i feel like he was so close to Something really amazing. Like if, if he had a, a a consistent metaphysics with his stories, you know, that were rooted in something deeper than just sort of modernism and postmodern, or I guess postmodernism, um, then he could have been he could have been the the comic book version of Gene Wolfe. <laughs> um, I think uh, he would have been. I think it would have only improved his craft, but because he's kind of he's kind of undercut by his own relativism, and it makes it makes his stories just not satisfying, you know. I appreciate like there are some of them, some of the pe- pieces of the Sandman I still think about. Like there's he's one, char- one character called Fiddler's Green, who's basically uh, based off of G.K. Chesterton, you know, and he's one of the best characters in the in the whole series because he's literally G- he's almost literally G.K. Chesterton, <laughs> and of course he's gonna be really likable and like you, everyone's favorite character because he's G.K. Chesterton. Um, but it's stuff like that. It's like when he's not pulling on his own relativism then he like his it's his stories are really good but when he's falling back on his own sort of habits of um you know everything's arbitrary categories are arbitrary principalities are arbitrary then i think that undercuts his storytelling uh which is like i like i said it's a shame but um so i think the biggest problem is that we we view these creatures as creatures that share our motivations that share our you know, passions, um, like the character you mentioned from Pathfinder, is she, so is she like an actual demon from from Hell?
1: So in the Pathfinder universe, there's, uh, there's two separate versions of Hell, actually. Oh, okay. I, I haven't I'm played too, in a long I time. Only, I only know this, um, like, superficially. I didn't actually do a deep dive into this thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are two versions of uh hell in the Pathfinder and I believe the D universe. The first one is classical hell where it's 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 like lawful evil. <laughs> uh basically their whole thing is making contracts, um getting you to swear your soul, so on and so forth. And sure. it's a structured hierarchy where you have the devil reigning at the top, you have uh with proper names greater demons yeah less demons and then you have people who are sent to hell and i believe in i believe in the setting uh people can become demons even it's... right we don't know oh, why that's not that doesn't happen right um, right and the second version of hell is what's known as the abyss and it's this it's chaotic where mm. it's doggy dog where, you know, it's the toughest, the strongest, the biggest, the baddest, take all, and everyone else it, it gets jack. Right. And it's depicted as this, like, huge realm that's constantly at war with itself, there's no hierarchy beyond what you can do with brute force, and it's just chaotic evil.
0: Which is probably the more accurate of the two <laughs> versions of hell, you know, like it, the the abyss is probably closer to the actual truth of hell, you know. Um, but yeah, just that the, the the idea of a hierarchy in hell is something that, you know, Satan rebelled to to get rid of hierarchy. <laughs> so why would there be a you know? But there there kind of is a pecking order, you know. It's like with this, like you said, this the strongest. Um, usually ruling over the weaker, the weaker demons and stuff. and that's I think you know probably pretty close to accurate, but it's it's the depiction of demons like so one one demon she's had enough of it and wants to quit and she wants to be good. Is that that the whole backstory for her?
1: I didn't progress along the storyline far enough to find out you know the full details. I believe what happened is there was some divine intervention on part of this uh, goddess. Okay. Who, uh, basically, made it so Arushaleh can repent.
0: Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. Well, interesting. Um, yeah. I I guess um, I don't know too much. I haven't played Pathfinder since, like I said, since college. But um, yeah. I think because and then the demons are often depicted as like infleshed, like they're they're physical beings usually when they're depicted that way. And again, it's that I, I I don't know like do I have a problem with that I don't I don't know if I do or not but it's the whole
1: they can possess you know animals and people
0: yes they can, of course and they they can take on bodies you know um you know out of material around them like they could they could do that that that's totally yep that's that is something they can do so it's like but it yeah it's
1: I mean it's just a lot easier for a story if someone can visualize the demon instead of this. <laughs>
0: That is true, that is very true. Yeah, it is. It is. I feel like it's kind of cheating, but like, um, it, it it's kind of a, it's like orcs, you know. That's kind of how I view orcs uh, from Lord of the Rings, but um, yeah. So,
1: can orcs repent?
0: Ooh. Yeah, can orcs repent? I I guess it depends on what theory, because Tolkien had like different theories as to why or where the orcs came from, right? So he couldn't, yeah. he didn't really settle on any one given theory i don't think so it's like well if they're corrupted elves then maybe you know and another theory um is like well maybe they're incarnate demons you know inhabiting bodies basically made out of stone you know is that maybe so maybe they couldn't repent because of that you know um but if they're like corrupted elves could they be redeemed that's so it's like it kind of depends on See, but, but Tolkien, you can do that because he was consistent with his metaphysics. He, but he, he couldn't figure, he couldn't, like, square orcs completely with everything else. So he kind of just left it open, which I think is interesting. Um, but, yeah, so I guess, so, yeah, we, t- we talked about some of these objections. Um, so, do, so can authors do whatever they want? Like, I, that was one objection that came up a lot. Like, well, in my story um demons can repent you know and i think brian neemeyer and i will link his his um article on this too he said something like well yeah in my story elephants are aquatic like reptiles (laughs) but that doesn't that they're not they're, they're no longer uh elephants right they're like now you're just changing you're just calling them elephants but you're you're changing them you know into something else right so um it's like a category error. You're like just shifting, you're just shifting the definition of things. But so do authors, especially Christian, Christian authors, do they, like in your opinion, how um, closely should Christian authors adhere to like theology and, uh, or I I should say, you know, sound theology and uh, dogma.
1: Um, I think at the very least it needs to inform their worldview and just their themes of their story. Um, and people see that as one gigantic, like, it, there's this uh, trope of, you know, the, the Catholic wagging his finger, or especially the Protestant wagging his finger and saying, you can't do this, you can't do that, right? can't do this. Um, but w- w- what I'm asking for is not so much, you know, I- I'm not going around telling people what they can and can't do. I'm just saying that you shouldn't. You should strive not to be subversive in your work.
0: Right, right. yeah. That's
1: that's what you should do in all your writing. You should strive not to be... um, When people read your work, you should not be, one, going back to the point of, oh, my demons are different. You're still using the word demon, which comes from a Christian worldview, right? and you're using that language, and you're subverting that language for your own means in the story just right. use another word if you want like um um berries
0: <laughs> right yeah well that was my i was thinking about that um earlier like a lot of this seems to be just like a category error you know it's like well people like well the demons in my story can repent it's like well i think what you're describing is closer to like a fairy type creature right that's yeah, yeah. that's like well they're kind of they can be evil. They can be good. They, they can be mischievous. They can be evil. They, but they, they might have a depending on what they are, they could have a possibility for redemption. So it's like, or, or, you know, it could be that, or, um, if they're like, um, a, a physical demon, it's like, well, you could be describing kind of like a Hellboy sort of situation where a hellboy is a half demon, right? He's half human, half demon. And, um, it's his human side that gives him the ability to repent and to choose using his free will to choose something else. The demons in the Hellboy stories don't repent, <laughs> as far as I know. I um, they don't repent. They uh, they can't. Um, but there are also fairies and other things in, the, in those stories as well, but um, who have a different destiny than than everybody else does. But um, the what, what makes Hellboy different is because he is half human. He is he has that that. He exists the same way that humans do in time, and he he ages more slowly, but he still gets older and he has to you know make he has discursive reasoning, so he has to think about things in, the, in a very human way. so it's that's the why he can repent because he has that um he, he's he's human, and the story makes sense to a degree where that's believable, right? I think the problem is um a lot of these, and it's mostly Neil Gaiman. <laughs> Um, but it's other people too, it's like a lot of the time it's, they're, they're using Christian sort of tropes, but they don't have the background or like the, the worldview to back it up. You know, it's, it's like, well, I have angels and demons, but, and then Jonathan Paggio says like, well, he's not, it's not really about angels and demons, like good omens isn't it's, it's about something else is using, using angels and demons as sort of like, um, these are these are this is my my words for it, but like window dressing, you know, it's it's just it's there to they're just convenient categories to explore something else, you know. Um, but at the same time, as you're still using those categories of angels and demons, and people have, you know, um, they have pre what do you what do you call it like the preconceived notions, I guess maybe is when we to say it of what these. What, what constitutes an angel, what constitutes a demon, right? So when you go around messing with those tropes, you know, people are going to... Well, they might not care, you know, like people watch Good Omens and Lucifer and stuff and they, I don't know, but people who don't care and who actually do want their stories to be like yourself and like myself, who want, who want their stories to be at least metaphysically consistent or they have something deeper to them. Um, I think it was either you or Brian Niemeyer who said like, um, the people who... Like are saying, well, it's just a story. Those are people who probably don't I don't want to put words in people's mouths, but like they, they probably don't believe in this stuff anyway. <laughs> you know they're being a little disingenuous.
1: I mean again, I hate this critique so much. all right. so was it just a story uh, what they did with Luke Skywalker and the last Jedi?
0: <laughs> right?
1: Just a story? Is Star Wars just about space wizards? Can Ray be trans?
0: <laughs> or is they it about something deeper? Her? Yeah.
1: I, I, it's. Uh, they gotta make her more diverse somehow.
0: Right. <laughs> yeah, so everybody has that line they draw, kind of what we were talking about before. Everybody's got that line that they draw in the sand where they will be offended by something, right? Now, some people are just trolls, and it's hard to tell online who's a troll and who's actually being serious sometimes, but. It's like the people who are saying who cares is just like these are they're just make believe creatures anyway. It's like, OK, well, fine. Um, I guess, we you know, we, we're not saying that you have to listen to us or anything like that. But I think stories that actually take the metaphysics and like the the tradition behind these entities, I think they they make for better stories, in my opinion. So, like, um, I, I created like a, a small list of um things that uh um like examples of of media that i think portrayed the demonic and i guess the angelic really well um i guess the exorcist is probably probably one of the top ones um and i've <laughs> i've only seen that movie once and that's all i want to see of it uh, but it is a good movie and they do they every exorcist i've heard um which I guess isn't that many, but, you know, I've listened to a few Exorcists over, over the years just, in, you know, giving talks and stuff. And they, when, when they're asked about that movie by, um, by Blatty, William Blatty, um, but he wrote the book. Uh, I forget who directed the, the movie. They, they're asked how accurate is that movie, you know, and they said, well, I mean, everything portrayed in that movie, except for the vomiting up the green pea soup or whatever that's not part of any anything they've ever encountered but every, pretty much everything else is has happened right um, now the movie takes all of it mashes it together and multiplies it by a million to make it more dramatic but that's it's fairly accurate for what it is you know um, and then you have all the spin-offs and stuff and you know like and they get more and uh, all the, the you know the exorcism movies vary in by you know, quality and theological accuracy Um I don't go around watching a bunch of exorcism movies, but, um, so that, the the exorcist I'd say is a good depiction of the demonic. Um, I think in that movie, the, I can't remember now, the girl who was possessed, I think she was playing with a Ouija board. I think I haven't seen the movie in a few years, but, um, I'm pretty sure that's,
1: you know, in the real life account, uh, the kid was messing with, I believe it was his aunt's Ouija board.
0: Okay. Okay.
1: possessed to begin with
0: yeah yeah well that's how that's how it happens man it's like i've 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 long thought about um like those sorts of things like ouija boards and like um tarot cards and you know um mediums it's like we it's like you're it's like you're sneaking into the spiritual world without your proper paperwork you know it's like you're gonna get you're gonna get arrested (laughs) yeah You know you're going to get arrested by, by the uh, the local authorities there because you're you're entering that world without your without your proper paperwork and the paper, the proper paperwork. I mean it's kind of a dumb metaphor, but like um, every how we enter the spiritual world is through Christ, right? Through Jesus and the church right. and the sacraments and stuff.
1: God, but, God created a specific ways for humans to interact with the supernatural.
0: Exactly, if, exactly. If you
1: deviate from that, well, you're. Going into really dangerous territory because the supernatural is going to bite back at you.
0: Well, yeah, it's like you're wandering down a dark alley. You know, it's like, oh, well, there there might be some, you know, might be some good stuff at the end of that alley. It's like, yeah, but you're going to be like, you know, brutally beaten and <laughs> worse, you know, before you even get close to whatever it is you're looking for. Um, so yeah, that's that's one. And then, uh, the, have you ever read C.S. Lewis' Space Trilogy?
1: It's on my list. I need to get to it. <laughs> okay,
0: he has now in that in, the, in that series, um, he has beings that are kind of like angels. They're not quite. I mean, it's it's hard. I, I think they're not quite angels, but they're but they're sort of like angels. Um, and he, they're basically um, basically what he's doing in the space trilogy is he's bringing to the modern world sort of a, a medieval way of understanding the cosmos like he wrote about in um the discarded image and so he's trying to help people understand his readers understand like the how the medievals view viewed the the cosmos and at the end of the first book there's a like a a note or something you know but basically they're all all these stories at least the first book is written um from it's like um it, it was printed it's written from the perspective of someone who experienced all the things in the first book out of the silent planet and then wrote it and published it as a piece of fiction. Uh, because otherwise if he published it as like, this is my true, the true account of what happened to me on, you know, um, uh, Malachandra, um, no one would believe me. So I'm publishing it as a piece of fiction. Right. So, um, and at the end of that, he said he wanted his whole goal with writing this is to get the idea of cr- across, as we should not think of, the you know um, outer space, I guess you know as empty and and void of life. We should be thinking of how the medievals thought of it as the heavens, you know, full of life, teeming with angelic life, you know, and uh, life in, in general. Um, and so that was one of my favorite series of books is his his space trilogy. Um, and then another one I had um, for I just finished finished my reread of this. And I just published um, a Substack that had kind of referenced it, but uh, Tim Powers' *Declare* um, it features fallen angels as uh, jinn, you know, genies, um, and he depicts them—they're they're spiritual entities, but they can make themselves manifest in uh, weather patterns and and things like that. You know, really, really interesting stuff. Um, and then another one is. Uh, now i don't I, I'll have to caveat this because I haven't read the series in a long time but um Jim butcher's the dresden files um and there's one scene I remember in particular where I think it's in the first book Harry Dresden had, like, he like he summoned a demon and he has it captured in a summoning circle like that would work right in real life it wouldn't work um but uh well you'd probably get a demon but the the um summoning circle would not contain it at all um
1: well, what what might happen is that the demon's going to pretend yes. like the, it's trapped in the summoning circle to uh, lure you in, so it can influence you further.
0: Yeah, well, yeah, exactly. It'll it'll pretend it's that part you're part in charge. Part. Yep.
1: That's a part of the cold. Is that it's the demons often try and convince you that you're that you're the one in charge.
0: Exactly. Um, well, there was one part where he's he's like uh, bargaining with this demon, getting information from it, and the demon wants to know Harry's another one of Harry's names, you know, because it's his full name is something like... Oh, I can't remember. But it has all these um, other magicians' names in it, like uh, Copperfield, you know, um, stuff like that. And he... Um, I think he, he ticked the demon off, and the demon, who was pretending to be his friend, you know, like turned on him and was ready to eat his face, basically. Um, and Jim Butcher, for a while anyway, I think... I think he maintained this um, I know he went through a messy divorce and I think that kind of screwed up his some of his books in terms of the morality of the characters a little bit but um, he tried to maintain uh, a consistent like yeah, demons are evil and you can't trust them <laughs> um, and they can pretend to be your friend and they'll pretend to like you but really they just want to destroy you and um, I think he did a, he does a pretty decent job throughout a series of keeping that keeping that pretty consistent um, so do you have any, um, I'll turn it over to you now because I've been talking a lot and I apologize for that, but do you have any any depictions of the either the angelic or the demonic that, um, in, you know, in modern media that uh, you think is accurate or at least not, um, you know, offensive?
1: Oh, <laughs> uh, man, I, I should have come prepared with uh, for that question problem is I really like science fiction. Oh, I see. Yep. Um, there's, not a lot of the, there's not a lot of science fiction that tackles the demonic, unless it's um, it was one of those resurrection stories where a person gets sent to hell, they come back and drag all the demonic with them.
0: Oh, yeah. Well, can you think so, of any of those stories off the top of your head? No. Okay.
1: Not any good ones anyway. But, um, <laughs> yeah. The issue is, is that, like, by the time Hollywood really, I don't want to say hit its stride, but like a lot of the classic Hollywood movies, mm-hmm. the ones that uh, inform the cultural zeitgeist, just they don't come from a uh, Christian perspective.
0: Oh, right, right.
1: It's really difficult to find movies that uh, tackle these issues properly.
0: Right. I mean, there like horror is a pretty. It's a mixed bag because a lot of horror now is just shock and grotesque and and you know gore for the sake of itself. There's not a whole lot that is deeper, you know. Um, I know the movie *Nefarious*. I've not seen it yet, but uh, I should I should watch it. um, Where it's the it's he's this uh, guy on death row who's being interviewed. I think to determine whether or not he's mentally fit enough to be executed, basically. And the guy who is on death row is um, possessed by a demon, right? And so I think that he's being analyzed by a psychiatrist, and the psychiatrist is trying to figure out if this, this guy's crazy or if he actually is being if he is possessed. Um, and I've heard it's very good, and it, there's no like. Um, it's it's not it's it's supposed to be kind of like the screw tape letters in a way. Um, that's another good one. It's C.S. Lewis' screw tape letters, but um, um, they, he uh, there's no like gore. There's no you know. It's it's all very like theological, um, which is interesting. So I need to. I, I've heard good things about it. I need to watch it. Um, but uh, but yeah, horror horror like movies are kind of like most of them are just. You know just let's just butcher the teenagers you know <laughs> um
1: I, uh, to be fair there is um there is right-wing themes in horror
0: oh yeah like um the I an
1: article on this um i mean horror one of the main tropes in horror is that there's a transgression of some sort yep unleashes horrifying consequences and in that, you have an implicit sense of something of a sacred and a demonic. At least a little bit, even if it's confused and distorted, and mm-hmm. you know, doesn't come across coherently, it's still in there at least a little.
0: Right. Well, then. I was just- oh, oh, sorry. go ahead. No, no, no go ahead.
1: I mean, I was thinking about the question a little bit, and I was thinking, all right, what's the closest science fiction movie that would come to answering that? And I think this is going to be a really strange choice, but Alien?
0: Oh, no, yeah, I get that, yeah.
1: Like, the closest example I can think of, at least off the top of my head, you know, you have humans exploring this thing that they obviously shouldn't. You have the transgression in there. Mm Mm-hmm. You can view the alien. It's not a. It's not a possession, but it's it's festering inside a human being before it unleashes and starts killing the rest of the crew. Right. Um. So that that might be one. That at least you can yeah. see some a little bit of the parallels.
0: Oh yeah, definitely. Um, I mean they're the. Um, I, th- <laughs> well, I, I have not looked into this and I'm not going to, but, and I don't recommend anybody else do this either, but the guy who designed the alien monster, um, yeah, yeah. He, his, this like his other art. I have not looked at it. I'm not going to, like I said, but, um, I don't recommend anybody else do it either. Cause apparently some <laughs> of it's quite pornographic or something like that's what I heard. I have not.
1: Yeah, he uses a lot of, um, sexual themes like phallic imagery. Right. And, right. Uh, vaginas.
0: Right, um, and, but he, apparently he got a lot of those visions. Is it, is it right from, like, actual, like, visions that he had or something like that, or, well, like...
1: I, I don't know too much about him. I don't know. I, I mean, I could believe it.
0: <laughs> right, yeah. It's like <laughs> the, the alien design the alien. is really horrifying. Um, but anyway, so, yeah, the alien's a good one because it, it is this other thing. It's this thing that is not human, right? It, it, its motivations are to reproduce, basically. Yeah. Um, and it does it in a really horrific, you know, violating way. And um, it's it's a horrifying monster. Now, it's, it's flesh and blood, but it, the, the demonic parallels are, are clearly there. Another one that I thought of, I was trying to remember, the, when you were talking, I was trying to remember the name of the movie, but Event Horizon, have you ever seen Event Horizon?
1: Oh my gosh, I have. I really want to, I, I want to like, like, I want to see a Catholic do that movie. Right. The problem with event horizon is that it, it leans into, it's so extremely graphic Mm -hmm. that you should not watch it.
0: Yeah. It's really,
1: yeah. If if you kept a spaceship, if you just toned it down, um, tone down the visions, uh, and I, I believe there's some nudity in there.
0: Yeah, I think so.
1: Yeah. Just tone that down, restructure it a little bit. And you could have had what the best, uh, Catholic science fiction horror movies.
0: Yeah. I mean, yeah. it is, I, I'm remembering it now. I'm like, yeah, there are some scenes in there that are really, really grotesque.
1: Yeah. <laughs> the problem is, is that there has to be, uh, I made this distinction in my essay, um, about horror mm-hmm. that there is there's tragic horror which is horror you're supposed to draw meaning from mm-hmm. and then there's demonic horror which is just depravity like I, yeah. I would put a lot of people like berserk but mm-hmm. it's, I read a plot summary I just read the plot summary. I didn't see any images mm-hmm. but just from the plot summary I was like I got queasy
0: reading yeah.
1: it it's just so brutal
0: yeah I've heard I've never read Berserk. Um, I have heard you know, some people really like it. Some people are just, you know, disgusted by it. So I'm like, I'm not a huge, like, you know, manga, manga guy. So I, I'm not
1: either, but I was, I was in, I'm into lore. I like, I, I know the lore of a dozen properties that I've never played. <laughs> um, right. I could, I could, I could legitimately have a discussion about the themes of Planescape Torment, have not finished that game. <laughs> I got out and said, so I got past the tutorial.
0: 100%. Yeah. And
1: I, I didn't come back to it, even though I should. Wow. Um, but I've watched so many essays on it that I, I know all the characters. Know right.
0: It's eat. it's just, it's funny. Yeah. I, I'm i kind of similar in that I'll watch, like, uh, I've been playing Elden Ring. Um, and Elden well,
1: Ring is one of the few games I've finished,
0: actually. Yeah. it's I, I like it a lot. It, I know it's probably a pretty... I don't know. The word Gnostic is overused, but it's probably Gnostic. Um, the worldview, at least, it's it, it pulls a lot from. I don't know much about the creator, um, other than he, he and um, George R. R. Martin worked on it together, and I could see I could see George R. R. Martin's influence in there. Um,
1: really, I like. I had difficulty seeing Martin's influence. Um, I, again, I've, I've watched a lot of the Dark Souls lore. Uh,
0: Right. Well, I think Martin's influence, he's, he's trying to be the anti-Tolkien, right? So, like, the Elden Ring, like, when it was shattered, there was a big war, you know, over over the, the pieces, the the fragments. And then you are trying to become the piece of the ring back together and become the Elden Lord, right? And, like, yeah. you're basically trying to become Sauron. <laughs> and
1: I, uh, I, I became the Elden Lord because I am not simping for Ronnie, unlike everyone else. Oh, know? okay.
0: I haven't I haven't beat it yet, I, but. uh, I uh
1: okay. Um, I know I
0: know she's the witch, right?
1: Yeah, she's the witch. Yeah, um, she's supposed to be a quote unquote secret ending. Okay. But ever, like everyone just watches the videos. Hey, what's the best ending for Elden Ring? And then they do the absurdly uh, complicated quest. Line. <laughs>
0: <laughs> to get yeah.
1: married to Ronnie.
0: Oh, so you can you can marry her? Is that this yeah, uh,
1: I, in the Age of Stars ending, you become her consort. Yeah. So,
0: uh... Consort to a wish. That sounds good. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so I, it, it struck me as something that I'm like, yeah, that's something George R. R. Martin would probably do, is like, basically, you know, we're going to have the whole plot revolve around you becoming basically a Sauron character, re- piecing the ring back together and, you know, <laughs> you know, becoming the the ruler of the realm. Um, it oh, is, it's, think- a, it's an interesting oh, game.
1: It's it's interesting. Um I mean with Elden Ring, like I can see a lot more like knowing the lore of Dark Souls, I see a lot more Miyazaki in it than yeah. Martin. It's actually difficult for me to like the ring itself is obviously like a western trope, that's probably a little bit Martin. Right. But um like I, I see a lot of it is mainly Miyazaki just doing a reiteration of some of the themes he explored in Dark Souls. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe are trying to articulate because in dark souls there's the binary there's the dark and the light Mm -hmm. and i I know there's a little bit of some stuff happening in dark souls 2 where people are trying to explore other options but the, the main thing about dark souls is um should we preserve the light and when that light finally fades and it's becoming just impossible to keep it going. Should we still try to keep it going, even as the world's crumbling around us? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's that's the main question of that series. And I think in Elden Ring, it's just exploring different options for what a regime would look like, apart from like just more options from that binary.
0: Right. Right. Well, with Elden Ring, is that there's so much. You know, even though so this is the kind of the, the distinction I, I make sometimes with like going back to the depictions of you know repentant demons or whatever, um, with Elden Ring and games like that and stories like that, it's the the world is so rich. You know, there's so there's like a story behind it, and it's like you know that it's not a Christian world, right? When you're playing it. You can, you can kind of see some some elements of it here and there, you know, um, with the Golden Order kind of being like the church, kinda, you know. Um and you can you can kind of see that, but you know it's not it's it's like set in the lands between, you know, it's it's somewhere that's not here. Um and so you can have that. Um and then but if if you try to like have a story that is set in the primary world, or that is pulling directly from Christian themes, then you start messing around with some theology that would kind of break that world. You know what I mean? Like if you have repentant demons, okay. Well, now you're changing things in this world, and you're—I think—you're violating like the the believability of your own story. um Whereas, like in games like Elden Ring, you can kind of do—you can do what you want. You know, you, you're a little bit more free to kind of mess around with with metaphysics and stuff um, because. You're, I mean, you might be pulling from like Japanese st- stories and like um, folklore and some Western themes in there. But like, you know, it's, it's kind of its own thing, you know, um, whereas you start messing with you know, you're saying, well, these are angels and demons. Like, OK, well, there's, there's, there's expectations with that. Right. You can't just start messing around with that and keep your story consistent. And so I think that's kind of the big difference between those those two sorts of stories. Um, would you, would you, what would you say to that?
1: I would, I would give a caveat because technically you can do anything in stories. You do whatever you want. Mm-hmm. You have um, just whatever you want, but that's not necessarily mean a, your story is going to be good. Right. B, uh, it's not like your story may not be moral. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, I don't. Liberating is. See, the issue is. Uh, let's let's bring this to the example of Elden Ring, right? And Miyazaki's work. A lot of it's. A lot of it, is cynical. Yeah. Though he has some really good right, like right wing themes, He's dead on about civilizational cycles. Mm-hmm. The problem is, is I don't think Miyazaki believes in anything eternal.
0: I see. Yeah. Or
1: if it does, it's really, really like deep in the lore. And so in my mind that hurts him as a storyteller, even though he's brilliant, but he can't he can't reach the richness and life giving meaning of something like Lord of the Rings is because he doesn't have that eternal truth that he believes in. Right. And um when you are creating stories using different metaphysics it's like yes you can do that but when you should always uh, keep in mind that are you drawing on something eternal and true or are you not doing that and for myself Catholicism is the, well it's, it's the most true thing it is true, mm-hmm. is true. and so I don't see it, it's difficult sometimes but I don't see the Catholic Church shackling my fiction I see it as a light allowing me to tackle issues and have answers to those issues because that's a big thing these days is writers can pose really good questions but they don't have satisfying answers right. that provides those satisfying answers and that helps me with my fiction in that I don't have to, um, basically, it lets me see where I'm going with the sword. Mm-hmm. And yeah. how to wrap it up, at least, uh, hopefully. And, you know, I'm, I'm not saying I'm, I'm better than Miyazaki, I'm certainly not. But uh, I, that's the advantage the Catholic Church provides to Catholic authors, is that it provides you this rich tapestry from which you can draw upon.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of tradition, um, and there's a lot of st- uh, we have a lot of our own stories too, um, uh, as, as Catholics uh, that go back. I mean, the scripture itself, right? Um, and I think that what I think what makes the best stories is like what you said. You're, you're kind of you're rooted you're rooted in something transcendent, right? That you are pulling on something that is you believe in a transcendent order, you know? Um, and I think the authors that don't like George R. R. Martin, for example, um, when he, he's trying to, this is just my speculation. Like he's, she's trying to basically write a story without a satisfying conclusion. Right. Uh, he's, as one of my friends put it, he's trying to write a, a, a romance, like a, a, you know, a, a traditional, truth understood as like a, a quest. Right. Um, but he's trying to, he's, He's trying to avoid... Well, What he's doing is writing a romance, but then he's trying to avoid all of the tropes that go along with that. Like um, the heroic character at the last minute swooping in and, you know, like Jon Snow or whatever, like swo- swooping in and doing something awesome and saving the day or whatever. But he, that's why he can't, like, end the story because he doesn't have a grounding in anything like that. And he his his whole career has been partly been around kind of like I said before he's the anti-tolkien he's he's structured himself around being the anti-tolkien um, and well that makes it really hard to finish the story because whats what ending is going to be satisfying <laughs> you know if well, you're
1: I'm, I'm, of, I'm of the opinion that Game of Thrones looking back ended perfectly because on a meta level it was the showrunners using um, the television show just as cynically as the characters would, <laughs> <laughs> would. <laughs> so it, it turned on itself quite beautifully in my yeah
0: opinion. well it, it is it is ironic because that's like you a know,
1: self-devouring serpent
0: right it's it's kind of what ended up happening you know and then everybody hated the ending um and i you know i i've, I've read some game of thrones i read the first two books um, I have not. Wa- I watched the first episode of the show, and you know, so but I nothing after that. Um,
1: I, I want but, George R. R. not to be a coward because the only the only ending that uh, the only ending that he has available that would stay true to the themes of the book, want to be satisfying, but at least be something is that the Night King comes and everyone does. Right. <laughs> the Night King wins. That's that's the that's the winner of the Game of Thrones is death.
0: That's, right.
1: That would be the most honest way to end it.
0: Yeah, well, I, I think so too. I think he, um, but see, I think the problem is, I don't think anybody, nobody wants that to happen, right? Like, <laughs> wants that to happen. it's not satisfying. It'd be a horror, like, because, oh, like you, you said, you know, earlier, we kind of, we maybe can close it out with this. Um, we all have a morality. We all believe in morality on some level, you know, um, and. I think Martin on some level, and I'm, I'm mind reading a little bit here, I don't know if this is actually true or what he actually thinks, but like, I think part of the reason he hasn't finished the series is because of that reason. Like he, well, the only logical conclusion is for death to win, you know, and for just death to overcome everything and just have this nihilistic bloodbath and, and then there was no point to the story. But the problem is you have millions of people who are reading, who have read these books, who are invested in these characters, and they ha- have an expectation of a satisfying conclusion. And everybody dies the end and nothing meant anything is pretty unsatisfying. So
1: I think thinking, like, it's, it's unsatisfying, but I think it's, it's still better than cynically using it to uh, have Arya kill the Nike. It just gives incoherent.
0: Like, well, right. I mean, it's
1: satisfaction in knowing that it's, it's logically consistent, right? It's tragic. It's a, tra- it's, it's, it's a cynical type of tragedy but it's still like you say okay the hu- humanity was condemned for its own flaws and they couldn't get all their stuff together and fight off the night
0: right
1: you, you can make a, a condemnation of humanity from that that's coherent it's it's somewhat truthful because sin all sin results in death right and it, it, it would be, it would just be something like you can draw something
0: out right? Largely, wrong. right, right. Well, I think that's the bind he's in. You know, it's like if he if he finishes it this way, it's like it's unsatisfying. No one's gonna
1: on like him if he finishes it that way. That's the issue. What did you say? No one's gonna like him if he finishes it that way. But that's who cares what people like at this point. <laughs> what are they gonna do?
0: Right, they're gonna <laughs> buy his book anyway. <laughs> yeah. So anyway. Um, Uh, Thank you for the the great discussion. This has been a lot of fun. Um, Do you have any closing thoughts before we kind of wrap this up?
1: Uh, Not really. I think we uh, covered the ground pretty well.
0: Yeah, yeah. And um, let's see. Yeah, I'll I'll include a lot of these um, links in the show notes, all the stuff I mentioned. Um, And I have one more question for you, Isaac. And it's been a while since I've asked this because I've had repeat guests in the show. And then I, you know, my wife and I kind of doing something else on the side along with the show um, called the cauldron of story. And that is um, where we will do a reading of Grimm's fairy, t- a Grimm's fairy tale, and then we will um, discuss it. So, and that'll be, av- that's available to the first episode is, is available for everybody, but then a- and all the episodes after that are going to be for patron only subscribers on Patreon um, and Substack too. If you become a paid subscriber on Substack, I'll make those episodes available. Um, but uh, so yeah, there's a, there's a plug there for that. But, um, um, the one question I ask every new guest on the show, uh, has to do with the title of the show and the show is uh, titled, I might believe in fairies. And personally, I, you know, we've talked about them a little bit on the show, um, as kind of these in between sort of creatures that could be good, could be, could be bad. Um, and personally I'm agnostic on, well, I'm agnostic on the belief in these things, I say that, but I'm like I'm pretty sure something like them exists. Um, but I don't. Like, I'm agnostic as to what they are. You know what? What is a fairy? What are they? Angels? Are they demons? Are they dead kings? Or well, I don't. I have no idea. But um, so I will ask you, Isaac Young. Do you believe in fairies? Uh,
1: um, I I, I I I lean towards there being supernatural creatures out there that are somewhat separate from the angel-demon dynamic. Mm-hmm. I, 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 if I, if I'm wrong on that, then, um, you know, it's okay with me. Um, <laughs> uh, I, 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 I'm not like attached to that belief. Mm-hmm. And the reason I think that is, I mean, there's a lot of strange things that go on that you can't really have a good explanation for. Right. Uh, Like uh, I was reading earlier about, uh, you know, people who just disappear without a trace one day. Yeah. And then like six months to a year later, they're found on the opposite end of the country somehow. Right. Um, so I, I, I like to believe that there's something out there, but we're, you know, again, you shouldn't make any attempt to make contact with it because, again, God provided a, a set of ways we can safely interact with the supernatural. And
0: oh yeah, never, you know, never try to contact a fairy.
1: <laughs> going outside that's just to invite big trouble.
0: Right. Well, it's like even if you're like, um, there's stories of like, you know, the enlightenment rationalists whatever so-called i mean the ones that are really materialists wouldn't do this but like um in the in in the renaissance and stuff they try to contact angels you know um and the only angels that are going to be answering that phone call are fallen angels (laughs) you know so it's like you just don't do it and so even if you're trying to even if fairies are benevolent you go out of your way to to make spiritual contact with a fairy the, a demon's going to answer the phone. You know, it's not going to be. It's not going it, to. And fairies might be demons. I don't know. Like that. But, you know, it's just a dangerous thing to do. <laughs> so yeah. I would not do that. I
1: mean, if you want to talk to angels, just pray.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. You can pray to your guardian angel, talk to him. Exactly.
1: Yeah, it's, it's seeking out, like, direct physical contact. If they wanted to talk with you that way, they would.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yep. Yep. And,
1: and, asterisks there, uh, you know, unless you're a saint, you know, just... just, I wouldn't... Don't trust any spirit unless you're a saint.
0: Right, yep.
1: Approaches you in that way, because uh, demons can masquerade as angels.
0: Yep, and the first thing you're supposed to do is throw holy water at them. (laughs) And if they run away, then they're a demon. If they look at you and go, what was that for? You know, they know. They know what it's for. But um, then they're probably an angel. But yeah, that's a, thankfully, I'm very thankful for this. It does not happen very often, and I hope it never happens to me. So
1: yeah,
0: me <laughs> I'm here, though. I'm good. All right, man, well, this has been a lot of fun. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of I Might Believe in Fairies. Please leave a rating and review wherever you listen to podcasts. Please follow me on Twitter at Aaron Erber and like me on Facebook. If you're excited to see where the podcast is going and want to offer some support for the project, you can find me on Patreon. Music is by Alexander Nakarada, and podcast art was designed by my wonderful sister-in-law, Linnea Kisby. Until next time, talk to you soon.